Hello, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 264 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and a happy first day of Kwanzaa to everyone. Kwanzaa is a seven-day holiday for Black people centered around seven principles. And the first principle is Umoja, which is Swahili for unity. I think that's something that we can all get behind. Uh, This is not a special episode, but we did have some major news that hit the streets yesterday from Duke women's basketball that we felt couldn't wait out the weekend. So we are on to discuss that and preview Duke men's basketball's upcoming game against the Pitt Panthers. But before all that, Donald Wine here, your host for this episode. I was able to spend Christmas yesterday watching a lot of NBA action as is tradition in my family. I have my two partners here with me as well, Sam Klein and Jason Evans. Hello to you both. Sam, were you tuned into the basketball games yesterday or were you watching other stuff? I watched a little bit of the Laker game and was excited to see uh, the Lakers and the and the Mavs back in action. I do generally have questions about the sartorial choices of NBA teams yesterday. I don't know. I don't know what happened with with the outfits with the. There were some weird uniforms with the uniforms. Well, uh, they're they're they're, uh, they're doing the city uniform. They're doing the city uniforms, and yes, usually yes. they have a Christmas one, but they didn't do them this year because they because the season just started a couple days ago. So this was the opportunity for some of the major teams to unveil their city uniforms. All right, so I missed the explanation. What was the Lakers uniform about? Like, the Lakers the uniform Lakers... is based on the Minneapolis Lakers. So the Minneapolis Lakers were that color scheme before they moved to L.A., which is why L.A. Lakers are called the L.A. Lakers because there are no lakes in L.A. The lakes are in Minnesota. So that was a throwback to, I believe, their 1959-1960 team, which was the last team to win a championship before they moved to L.A. See, that's that's great content and stuff that I missed from the broadcast. I actually spent more time yesterday watching uh, TV that wasn't basketball and my, I think my highlight of the day was that I watched the new Pixar movie Soul that came out yesterday on Disney Plus. Highly recommend. And it's basketball adjacent because they made a joke about the Knicks being bad in the movie. So oh, a, a really go. good. It's one of the best jokes in the movie. That's, yeah. And you I, don't I like see that. it coming. And you don't like see it that. coming. It was it was full of sports references, but Soul was really good. I, I, I recommend it to to any and all. Funny. The Knicks are usually on Christmas Day and they weren't yesterday because they were being in movies being terrible, which they are normally. Jason, did you get to watch basketball or were you also, uh, I know you're a movie buff. Were you into watching any of the movies yesterday? Not just a movie buff, I'm a film critic. Uh, I've been watching a lot of movies lately. They, uh, I, I vote for a couple um, awards. Uh, you know, I'm part of uh, film critic associations that, that bestow awards. And this is a very, very busy film season for us. So I've been getting constant screeners, screeners in my inbox lately. And I've been watching tons and tons of movies trying to keep up with, with all the stuff that is award contenders. Um, I have seen Soul and I agree with Sam. It's a, it's a fine film. It's not one of the best Pixar films, but, but it's in the top half of the Pixar canon, which is pretty darn impressive. Um, I will tell folks, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 can be skipped. <laughs> um, I, I'm not skipping it. it this, I, I mean... It was you, filmed in my neighborhood, literally in my neighborhood. There's no way I'm skipping it. I know it's, I know it's probably bad. I heard, saw all the people reviewing yesterday. That's not going to stop me from seeing if my place is in a new movie. There's a lot of talking, not a lot of action, and the action just doesn't feel real. None of it feel. I mean, like it seems silly to say that about a superhero movie, but I think, I think a little bit of realism and grounding things in physics makes, um, makes some of these superhero movies really great. And this movie does not do any of that. 
the movie I'm going to tell everyone they need to go see. And the problem is it's only in theaters right now. So go to a drive-in. Don't go to a theater, but go to a drive-in if you can and see Promising Young Woman. Um, it is one of the best films of the year. No question about it. I'm still putting my top 10 list together. It will be in my top 10. It'll be in my top five. I'll tell you that for sure. And, and it's not impossible that I'll put it at number one. Incredibly relevant film, uh, a comedy thriller, which is a, a sort of unusual genre and, and some great acting in it. And, and just, a, you know, it's rare that we have a film that gives you a message and is also entertaining at the same time. Important and entertaining don't typically go hand in hand and they do in Promising Young Woman. So that's my big film recommendation. I think it'll probably be on streaming in a couple weeks, few weeks, so you'll be able to see it then. Jason, I have a quick question for you. You just mentioned that you get you get to vote on some awards. Uh, I'm not going to try and blow up your spot, but this is for the three of us here. So all of you listening, I will describe Jason's reaction. Blink twice if you vote for the Academy Awards. No, no, I do not. <laughs> That's not one. Of, Let the I, record I, reflect that he did blink once, just not twice. <laughs> right. I, I, I won't hide it. It's not it's not like it's a. a a thing that's not known. I, I'm a member of the Atlanta Film Critics Circle and the Southeastern Film Critics Association. Those are the two awards that I vote on. We're not exactly big time. We don't televise our award stuff, but if you look for it, you'll be able to see who we, who we picked as the best in various categories. Bad Boys for Life better be one of your picks, Jason. I'm just telling you, I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> but I don't enough, think so. <laughs> enough about movies. Let's get into the huge news of the weekend uh yesterday duke women's basketball announced that it is shutting down for the rest of the season it should be noted that this decision was made by the players to opt out of the rest of the 2020 to 2021 season it doesn't affect any of the other sports programs uh, this program had been paused for the last couple of weeks due to a couple of positive covid cases but we're supposed to get back back in action on New Year's Eve against Louisville. Coincidentally, the Cardinals back on December 9th was the last team that Duke women's basketball faced. So the Kara era is done, at least for this year, after four games, despite being three and one, the players said they had too many health concerns and decided as a group to not resume play. And they become the first power five team to opt out of the season. So Sam, I will start with you. What is your reaction to all of this? Because it, it usually you don't get news like this particularly on Christmas Day, but it was the Friday news dump, the end all Friday news dumps, and but it was a big one. Yeah, there are a few layers to this. The first and most pressing to me is that it happens in early in Carol Lawson's first season, a season that the program and the university were very excited to get going. It's been a few years now that, that Joanne McCauley was still dangling out there as the, as the Duke head coach and, and was finally let go and lost was brought in to a lot of fanfare. The, the program has, has made a big deal out of her being the head coach and, and bringing in someone who is a, a big name brand in women's basketball, not just in college, but in the WNBA. So I think that element of it is interesting because they're just saying, nope, we're not, we're not trying to force it with Carol Lawson. This is it. We are, we are, uh, going ahead with with sort of taking the the extra precautions and not playing so that that's the first part the second part to me and i think the part that is perhaps the most interesting and hopefully the part that gets written about more uh, in the coming weeks is the fact that this was driven by the players the players voted to not continue playing the season they had been obviously on pause but it was really their decision it wasn't administrators it wasn't the university as you said donald the other Duke programs that are 
that are still playing sports are, are continuing to play the men's basketball team, of course, being most relevant to us here, but this was a decision that the players came to. And so I think it's a interesting microcosm of the wider discussion right now around player empowerment, that it was the players that decided to shut this thing down. So I'm, I'm interested to hear more from the from the individual players about how they came to this decision how they voted on it what were some of the the most pressing topics that came up because eligibility not a concern player safety certainly a concern like all that all the stuff that's sort of obvious is is out there but i as you said donald they're the first team across all the power five that was playing games where they decided to stop playing so something changed for duke women's basketball that hasn't happened to any other team so far this season I don't know if this is what has changed, but I believe that the Keontae Johnson situation is one worth talking about here. I don't know if this is why they decided not to. Look, we, we, we don't have that information, but in my opinion, we just in the past few days got, got some news about Keontae Johnson that to me changes some of the calculus on this stuff. And for folks who don't recall, Keontae Johnson is the player who plays for Florida. He is Florida's best basketball player. He, he is an absolute NBA prospect. He was the preseason Southeastern Conference Player of the Year, and he collapsed in the middle of a game. He fell over, literally on the on the midcourt logo in one of the most terrifying pieces of video you'll see, um, you know, in in, in basketball. Um, it is he's been diagnosed with uh, helping with the pronunciation myocarditis, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, it's an inflammation of the heart, and uh, it is something that's been connected to COVID. And uh, it, it's something that does sometimes get better, uh, but sometimes it lingers. And Johnson's NBA future is now in jeopardy. And again, uh, his diagnosis my, with myocarditis just came up in the past few days. And one thing that brings on heart problems when you have myocarditis is exercise because the heart is working harder. Doctors say that exercise while having COVID-19 is incredibly dangerous because of the extra stress it puts on your heart. In fact, a, a doctor recently told Runner's World magazine that if you get COVID, you should stop all exercise, all exercise for at least two weeks, possibly longer, and that when you start coming back, you should ease into it very, very slowly and carefully. There's a good argument that someone who's diagnosed with COVID should probably not participate in something like high-level sports for a month or longer. We have now seen two women on the Duke basketball team diagnosed with COVID. That's the report we have. There, there are only nine players in this basketball team who are even playing uh, in games. I mean, there are 12 women on the roster, but there are only nine who've played in games so far. I don't know which to have COVID. I don't know if it's, you know, some of the walk-ons, players who aren't playing that much. Or, but the, the reality is the team is dealing with COVID coming to people that they're close to, people that they interact with. And the fact that we just got this word that Keontae Johnson's life future as an, as an NBA player, you know, all this stuff has been put in jeopardy because he got COVID over the summer. Again, I don't know if that's what caused the women to change their mind about playing, but I wouldn't be surprised. And if I was them, that's what I would be thinking about. I'm just, I mean, first of all, I, I support the player's decision. I think it's, if anyone has made a difficult decision over the last few days, it's them uh, to, and I know a lot of them, the eligibility, as Sam said, doesn't really matter in this case because they all get it back. But it's still a big deal because for the seniors, they got to figure out if they do want to stay an extra year and take advantage of that if, or if they want to pursue other interests or whatever. 
they also have the classes coming in. It becomes a big deal on the back end, but they weren't worried about that. And I'm not worried about that at all. I do think that this is disheartening in a way, not because of the player's decision, but because of the reaction of several people to this decision. It's incredible what I saw on the internet last night about them, people, you know, basically saying that they're scared of playing, that they, you know, that they shouldn't be scared of the virus. And, and this is, this is dumb. This is asinine that we're in December, we're, we're in December 26th and we have to talk about whether people need to be scared about this. It doesn't matter whether you think, or I think, or Sam or Jason thinks what they should be doing. What matters is they made the decision for them. They made the decision as a basketball team. They made the decision as a program. And we should stand behind that decision. And we, sh it, we don't have to understand it. We don't have to even believe it. We should believe it, but we don't have to because it's not our decision to make. I'm not going out there in the basketball court and playing. They are. They're the ones that are risking their health for our entertainment. And they said yesterday that stops today. I'm totally behind this. And I think everyone who isn't behind this really needs to have a gut check in the mirror about who they, who they think they are, because they're in my mind, they're nothing because these ladies have sacrificed quite a bit to get to this point and they're giving up even more to stop. And look at the way that Duke, the ACC and the NCAA have all handled everything around COVID fairly cautiously, even as they admit that they're putting on events that they probably shouldn't be doing. The women's basketball team is basically just coming to the same conclusion that all those organizations are coming to with a little bit more emphasis on the, okay, so what part of it and saying, this doesn't really make sense for us. And, and we're just, we're just not going to play. We get our eligibility back. We'll come back next year. We'll get a real go at this when, when everybody is able to congregate indoors again and, and make that the real kickoff to the Kara era. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, they, they deserve that. It, it was, it was exciting to watch them play. I watched all the games, uh, even when they you know lost to Louisville, it was still a game where I was like, these, these ladies are competitive and I'm seeing a difference between this year and last year. I'm seeing improvement, which is great. And so it is disappointing on that end to see that end after four games, but I totally get what's going on now, Jason, I want to go back to you because in some of these comments that you and I saw, at least on, on the internet last night, a lot of people were talking about, okay, well, if the women are quitting, then the men must be right, right behind them. And I feel like with the men, there are a lot of other layers included, notably, and maybe I, I won't say most importantly, but it's up there is the economics of, of everything. So why don't you talk about why this doesn't, why we shouldn't be overly, I won't say concerned, but we shouldn't expect the men to follow suit with the women in this case, because of that money. Yeah. So first of all, there's only a minor economic impact on Duke from the women shutting down. There were no fans paying for tickets. Only a limited number of their games are going to be televised. The ratings for those games, uh, you know, no offense. They're just not that significant. I I'm unsure. I haven't, I I've looked around. I haven't seen it mentioned whether Duke will sacrifice a portion of their ACC network and ESPN revenues from the women not participating in games. I guess it's possible, but if they are forced to, that would be um, not, not a big number. It's just, not a big number generated from women's basketball in terms of TV ratings. But the men, if the men shut down, it would be a major shock to the Duke financial system. It would cost the Duke athletic department tens of millions of dollars. And I, I hate that we're making these value judgments on millions of dollars versus putting young men in danger. 
And I'm certain that Duke has stressed to each of these players that if they want to opt out, no one will be upset with them if they do so. But the economic of uh, the economic impact of this um, is not just about Duke having enough money to fund their athletic department. These kids are making an economic decision as well. Every single person, every single player on the Duke roster, I, I guarantee you, expects to turn basketball into their primary career after they graduate. And by that, I mean some of them will play in the NBA. Some will play in an international league. Some will probably get into coaching in some kind of way. For others, it, it, basketball opens the door to business opportunities. I mean, um, I'm a former Duke basketball player. It's a great way to, to open a business conversation. If Mike Buckmeyer calls you up and wants to talk about buying stock or insurance, you're going to listen to it because it's Mike Buckmeyer, not some random dude. And for the major players on the Duke team, getting weekly national television exposure impacts their brand. It impacts their social media following. Letting scouts watch them play impacts their draft stock. The Duke men are not going to opt out unless the situation becomes much, much worse, in my opinion. And that's not just a Duke decision. That's not just a Duke economic decision. That's the players making an economic decision as well. And with the vaccines spreading across the country now, it seems unlikely the situation is going to get a lot worse. I, I could maybe see Duke and some other teams taking a pause sometime soon because we're, we may be at the very, very worst moment right now, especially with players coming back from Christmas. Uh, I won't be, I won't be that shocked. We're going to preview the pit game coming up in a moment, but I won't be that shocked if Duke ends up not playing pit and Florida state this week, that when players come back, Duke maybe says, you know what, we need a little more time to make sure everything is safe and good. But Duke men's hoops is in a very different boat from the women, both in terms of what it impacts on the Duke programs and the impact for those players, the economic impact. And so I don't think we'll see the Duke men shutting down anytime soon. And really when it comes to this, uh we're seeing something that we saw back in March, right? March 12th, we decided that we weren't going to go to the ACC tournament. And then exactly. the yeah. ACC tournament, then we said, we're not playing in the NCAA tournament. And then hours later, the NCAA tournament shut down. And everyone was, you know, basically blaming Duke for canceling the season. We ended up being right. The Ivy Leagues, you know, they were out in front as well. I'm not going to, I want to make sure that they get their just due because they're out in front of this as well by canceling their tournaments. They were right too. And at this point now, people are blaming and, and trying to come up with excuses for why the Duke women's basketball team is canceling their season. And maybe, again, people should stop and wonder, is Duke women's basketball right? And honestly, they might be. They might well, be onto something here. Well, uh, to me, I want to be clear. I don't think it's a right or wrong situation. I think there are choices and there are reasons and there are reasons that you can justify either decision. And we discussed them earlier. So I, I don't want to get into right and wrong because let's be honest, if we say the Duke women's basketball are right to do this, you know, the Duke men are not doing this. So are they wrong? Uh, so again, I don't think it comes down to right and wrong. I think it comes down to making decisions and weighing different options. The reality is in this COVID time, there's no right, easy or good decision that can be made. You have to just weigh consequences. And that's what they've done. And I support their decision. Their decision is not an unwise one. But on the other hand, continuing to play makes sense for the men as well. I will say, Jason, real quickly, and then I'll bring in Sam to wrap this up. When you were talking about the Keontae Johnson thing, I, I hesitate to say that that was into their decision. I know you mentioned that probably we don't know if that was a factor, but that it may be a factor in other programs. I just don't 
because we've seen it so much across college basketball, or I'm sorry, across college football. We've seen players opt out of the season. And honestly, I will, I will say this point blank. If you've seen Johnson collapse, if you saw that and you decided, okay, I can still play basketball knowing what happened. If they're going to do it, if Florida's going to do it, if Florida State, who they were playing, is going to continue playing, I don't see it. And honestly, if someone has a heart condition, I don't see that as an effect on anyone else. And they could look at that team and say, hey, that team is continuing to play. And, you know, they, they said, yes, we, we support our teammate. We, we wish him well, but we're going to keep playing. And I've seen injuries where teams say, you know what, broken legs or something like that, where people are like, yeah, we're not playing anymore. We are, we are done. We need to, we need to cool off for a couple of days. That didn't happen. They ended up finishing that game. So I, I think that is less of a impact because if it was, we would have seen college football teams opt out. We would have seen more players opt out of college basketball, and we would have seen teams stop when that man hit the ground. Jason, I think that you really nailed it here in saying that it's not that there's a right or wrong way to go about this. It's just that whatever decision you make right now about participating in activities or going places or seeing people, you should just be aware of what you're doing and, and the potential risks and the, and the sort of known risks that the scientists are putting out and all that kind of stuff. I'm not here to say that somebody is making a definitively right or definitively wrong decision for themselves. And I think that's the same message for the Duke women's basketball team and all of the college and professional sports teams that are choosing or not choosing to play this season. But the way that they went about it Sounds like it was all on the up and up. The university is supportive of them. The community, it seems like for the most part, is is supportive of them, and and they did it in a way that was honest to themselves. So I'm I'm proud of them for that, and and hope that we see decision making, not necessarily decisions, but decision making like that from from all the Duke programs going forward. Absolutely, and we wish the the whole Duke women's basketball program well. I, I know again it's the most difficult decision to make to, to not do something that you enjoy and love doing. Uh, and I know the coaches and, and players are all disappointed that they had to make that decision. But uh, I, I really agree that it was uh, we support their decision. And I think everyone else should. By the way, one other interesting wrinkle to this is that lots of coaches and administrators throughout the country over the last few months have talked about how they're playing sports because it's best for the players and that's what the players want, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about the players. And here's an example where the players have taken control and said, no, thanks. So I don't know if, if that has broader implications outside of Duke or outside of women's basketball, but something to think about. And, and also they're getting beat up for it. Like, again, it's, it's the duality, right? Like in the summer when they canceled the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they were like, well, players want to play. So now the players don't want to play, and they go, well, they should be playing anyway. Let the ladies make the decision that they have to do. It's their life, and, and we support their decision uh, to end their season because, again, we know how difficult that was. A Amen, and I will predict right now they will not be the last team to opt to end their season. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we saw, by the way, in basketball, we, uh, you know, we didn't mention it on the podcast, but we should tell everyone um, Chicago State uh, opted out of continuing to play basketball. They play, I want to say they played nine games. I nine they games. Were 0 and nine. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they opted out just a couple days before the Duke women did. And, and, and I, I feel pretty confident the Duke women will not be the last team to do so. And they were 0 and 9, and they got no crap from it. They, they were like, everyone's like, 
that makes sense. Understood. Enjoy enjoy your off season, but you know, a Duke team when you loses a game and all of a sudden it's the biggest conspiracy in the world. We could talk about this way more, but we're going to take a quick break on the other side. Duke men's basketball is scheduled to resume play on Tuesday. We preview their upcoming game against Pitt. Stick around. All right, gentlemen, we are back and we shift gears to Duke men's basketball back in action on Tuesday against the Pitt Panthers in Cameron Indoor Stadium. One familiar player or one familiar person who could be missing on the sidelines is a former Duke player, former Duke assistant and current Pitt head coach Jeff Capel. He tested positive for coronavirus back on December 19th, and it is unclear if he will get a clean bill of health in time to make the trip. So we could have that, but for this preview, we're going to approach it a bit differently than we've done in the past. I want to break this preview down into a few different areas. I first give it to Sam, and Sam, I'd like you to talk about the players on Pitt that we should be watching out for on Tuesday night. So the bummer for Pitt and the boon for Duke here is that Pitt's most important player is not going to be playing in this game. That's Justin Champagny, who suffered a knee injury a couple weeks ago or about a week ago and is now going to be out until February. He was averaging a double-double. He was 18 and 12 this year for Pitt and has just been all over the place, has been, has been huge for them. So he's out, which is going to be an enormous loss for Pitt. He was out against Louisville and Pitt only scored 54 points. They're a team. I know Jason's going to talk a little bit more about this, but they're a team that really struggles to score. And without Champagny, they're running things in the middle of the floor for the Panthers. It's going to be a struggle for them against pretty much every ACC team. The other key player for them who was also out against Louisville, and I haven't seen yet news about whether or not he's going to be back against Duke, is Audis Tony, who uh, was was averaging a nice 16 points, five boards, and almost three assists for the Panthers this year. He's he's like a, a bigger guard type, 6'6", 210, and has really improved his three-point shooting this season. Uh, it's still early in the year, but he is averaging just over 40% from three. He's nine for 22. After last season, shooting 33% from three and then 25% as a freshman. So Tony has gotten progressively better every year as a, as a three-point threat for the Panthers. He was out against Louisville and was, uh, was listed as day to day. So no news yet about whether he's back. If he is back, that's the guy to focus on for, for Duke. Um, Tony is, is a really effective scorer for them and is, and as a junior is very experienced. So he's, he's sort of the, the leader for the Panthers if he's on the court. Otherwise it's somewhat of a by committee situation here. When you lose those top two scorers, Pitt's offense really falls off a lot. And the defense and experience is also missing. So they had two freshmen who had really not played much. Noah Collier and Nike Sabandi were filling in for those two vets when when they were out. Prior to this game, Sabandi had played in exactly one game for Pitt. And Collier had not played more than 12 minutes and was forced to play 27 minutes against Louisville. So my big takeaway from looking at, at Pitt's roster and their performance so far this season is that they are missing a ton against Duke. Just based on that, it seems like this is a game that 
that the Blue Devils should be able to win going away easily. Uh, a couple other guys that I wanted to highlight, Xavier Johnson and Ithiel Horton, are a couple guys who are um, kind of all over the place for for Pitt. They shoot about 33% from the on the arc. So it seems like they're not. this is not a great three-point shooting team for Pitt, especially if Tony is not playing. So forcing the Panthers to to take these bad shots, I think, is going to be key for them. And then one last personnel note that's not specifically about a player, but uh, something that, that I was diving into. Pitt's lead assistant coach uh, who, who works with Jeff Capel is Tim O'Toole, who Blue Devil fans who are old enough will remember was a Duke assistant for a few years, and he was actually the last Duke assistant who is not an alumnus of the program to, to sit on the bench next to Mike Krzyzewski. So uh, Blue Devil fans can, can look out for him. I don't even remember him being a Duke assistant because he left in like 97 or 98, and I wasn't even conscious of the program at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and honestly, that thing you mentioned about Xavier Johnson, he's very inconsistent, but when he can get on, he's one of those guys that when you look at the stat sheet and you see Pitt has a big victory, you're like, man, Xavier Johnson went off, so we have to limit – those inconsistent guys, keep them inconsistent. Uh, but Jason, I want to shift to you because you're going to talk a little bit about the advanced stats and the metrics, but I want to lead to you with this. According to Ken Palm, we have a top 40 defense coming into Cameron on Tuesday night. So why don't you talk about how that translate the, the, the defense and really just other stats that you see, how that's going to translate into what we see on the court on Tuesday. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Pitt is uh, number 40 in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. They're number 77 overall, uh, and, and D is what they are best at. And the thing that they do well is they're great at defending the three-point line. Opponents only hit 26% of their threes against Pitt. That's, that's top 25 in the nation. And, and Pitt is actually also a decent shot-blocking team. Um, as a result, uh, you know, the effective field goal percentage that you get against Pitt, if you don't hit a lot of threes, if they defend the rim well, Pitt is very good at holding opponents to a, a low effective field goal percentage. Um, the other things they, they do well is they're a good offensive rebounding team. They grab about 35% of their own missed shots, which is, you know, not like it's not out of this world, but it's, it's pretty strong. Um, so those are the sort of the two things they do really well, defending the three, you know, limiting your ability to score uh, efficiently and, and getting offensive rebounds. What do they do poorly? Well, they only have the 129th best offense in the country. Um, and they are, Sam alluded to it, they're a bad shooting team. They only hit about 31% of their threes. They only hit 60%, 61% of their free throws. A team that shoots bad free throws is usually a bad shooting team, and that is this pit team. They also foul a lot, and they give up a lot of free throws. It, it is not easy to score 70 points on these guys. They, they gave up 80 and 74 points in their first two games, but since then, no one has scored more than 70 points on them. So, you know, they, they limit you, but, but they're, just, they're, they're just not a good enough shooting team to be able to really, you know, keep up with teams and – they played a very, very weak schedule. One of the, you know, bottom third of the country in terms of their non-conference schedule. So they've, they've been able to post a five and two record, but as Sam mentioned with, with the injuries that they're suffering right now, with the fact that they are a very, very poor outside shooting team. um, and, And I feel like Duke has done a better and better job of getting good shots on the inside, not relying on the three. We haven't been hitting the three very well, but you know, especially Matthew hurt with that, you know, 10 to 15 foot fadeaway that he has that is so, so effective. Um, I, I, I have a tough time seeing Pitt keeping up with Duke in this game. 
Justin Champagny being out takes Pitt from a bubble type team to a almost certainly not in the tournament team unless things really turn around for them in in some way or, or somebody on the team has a major breakout. You should not be thinking of this team as a as an NCAA tournament team. So it's definitely a team that, that Duke should be beating by double digits if Duke is is a good team this year, which I, I guess we're we're still waiting on more evidence about. But in sort of normal times, this feels like a fifteen or twenty point win for Duke, regardless of venue. And you you brought up a great point because when you're talking about the NCAA tournament, we talk about the eye test. We talk about teams you've played and teams you've beaten. And Pitt's record is you know yeah they may be five and th- five and two, but they have a really bad loss. Uh, their first game of the season against St. Francis of PA. Uh, they lost by 10, and that was the first game. They then went to Drexel, or they they hosted Drexel, and only beat them by nine. They've only beaten Northwestern by one. They have some teams that they beat Miami. They did beat by 15, but Miami was also without Chris Likes, who was their best player in the heart and soul of their team. And, and, that was, and then this past week against Louisville, which was the game that they had without Jeff Capel, they lost by 10. So this team is all over the map. And the thing about this team on on – just looking at them is they play kind of like Jeff Capel plays, you know, played back in the day. They have that kind of mentality. And that's what he's been trying to instill the last couple of seasons uh, when he took over at Pitt, trying to bring in guys that can play a style of basketball that is closer to what he used to play a little bit physical. Uh, they're not going to like completely just while you on the rebounding glass, but they're going to play a little bit physical, especially if the times allow for it, if it's a team, they know they can out muscle, but they also are a team that's going to, they just want to play sound basketball. They want to play traditional style of basketball. They just don't do that all the time. So that is what we're looking for on Tuesday night. We're going to be most likely without Jalen Johnson. As you guys mentioned in the last segment, we don't know, what about the testing or anything like that with guys returning to campus? I know they're back on campus now. Who knows if we're missing another player or two from that? That remains to be seen. We're not going to, we'll just hope everyone comes back with a clean bill of health and that we can play this game on Tuesday. But uh, we know that for the most part, Jalen Johnson is the one that we expect not to be on the court on Tuesday night. Uh, but other than that, I do think, Jason, what you mentioned about them being very tough against the three point land. Like this is something that we need to emphasize. If we can hit a couple of threes early on and get that momentum, that is going to take Pitt right out of this game because they know that they can get momentum by having guys miss long shots and getting rebounds and going out in transition. If they don't get to do that because we're putting the ball in the hole and they have to you know, start their offense 94 feet away, that is something that's going to really play into our hands. So again, Tuesday night, let's hope everything remains safe between now and then. That game will start at 8 p.m. So, Donald, the, only, the last thing I'll say about this, I, I do think there is something Duke needs to be concerned about, and, and that is rust. Um, uh, the, the team has been on, you, you mentioned, you know, obviously we're testing and stuff like that, but, but the team has been on a break for several days. And th- this game comes, it's just going to come a couple days after guys come back to campus because they got to spend Christmas with their families and then they come back. And, and I am sure that Duke is going to be incredibly careful about testing and, and isolating and keeping guys from, you know, if, if one guy has it, we don't want him to infect a lot of his teammates. I, I am very unsure and skeptical that Duke is going to get in more than maybe one practice prior to this game. I think we'll do a lot of individual work. These guys are going to, you know, it's not that they're going to be out of shape, but in terms of playing together, knowing each other and working on things as a team, I think it's been very, very, very limited 
over the past, you know, week or so while they've been on this break. Obviously, they can't do it while they're on the break. But even once they come back, I think it'll be very limited while they make sure COVID protocols are, are being observed. And so my concern will be that we will see a team, that, a Duke team that looks a little bit rusty, that maybe isn't comfortable with where each other is going to be on the floor. Um, and, and that, to me, is the biggest concern coming into this game. Yeah, absolutely. The rust thing, I think, is a tale as old as time. We always had this little Christmas break and we always come back right in this last week between Christmas and New Year's and usually show a little bit of rust. So that part is there. I do agree that there is this added layer of they were out until I believe it, they came back on the to campus on the 23rd. Uh, and then they probably have not actually practiced as a team since then. So, yeah, I agree that added layer of not being able to just go right back into practices. Uh, is something that they are going to you're going to see that on Tuesday night but also I we may see that on both teams you know that Pitt will have had a week off as well they may be without their coach so things are a little bit helter skelter and just the holidays just kind of put that into you because you eat a lot of food and you just kind of relax for a couple days and all of a sudden you come back and you're just like oh wow I have not picked up a basketball in five days and that's that's totally fine so yes I agree we should we as fans should expect to see some rusty basketball on Tuesday night and by the way, Duke plays Florida State next weekend. So that's a game that Duke has to be tuned in for, right? Against Pitt, you were saying that there's a little bit of a, a letdown factor here, given the, the time off and the fact that Florida State is coming up afterwards. That is a game that I'm sure the Blue Devils are looking forward to. Absolutely. It will, we'll probably preview that at some point this week after uh, the game against Pitt, should the game against Pitt go down, because at this point, we just taking it day by day. Uh, before we close out, though, I did want to quickly note an email that we received yesterday that I thought would be of interest and give Duke fans a laugh, uh, particularly those who went to undergrad. Uh, this note comes from Jarrett Strauss, and he writes, fellas, thought you would appreciate this. My wife, a fellow Duke alum and a Kville veteran, was fortunate enough to get the coronavirus vaccine this past week. Awesome. Uh, along with other local healthcare providers. As you can imagine, the line was quite long and the process was a bit chaotic. She texted me from the line, quote, Duke line monitors would have a field day with this operation. Donald, Sam, I know you have real jobs, but your country needs your skills. Happy holidays. And thanks as always for the show. First off, we thank Jared for the email. It gave me a laugh because uh, I, I'm a former headline monitor. I, we mentioned this to Jared, but Jason also is one, and we've known Sam's, uh, uh, what's the word we say here, his criticisms of how the grad ushers do things, uh, and I agree with them as someone else and personal. So I'll just say this. I live in Washington, D.C. If they want to give me shots and hire me uh, full-time to organize a vaccine line, I am well able and, and ready to do so. Uh, it's going to cost you. You know, We're not doing this for free out here. Because uh, there's been, you know, all this money been floating around and none of it landed in my pocket. So you give me, break me off a little bit, break me off with a couple doses and I'm good. But yes, I think if anyone can make this, the administration of vaccine go more efficiently is the line monitors from Duke University. Amen. And and we appreciate the, the, the email from all of our listeners. I want to point out as well that we got an email from someone who admired the poem, the Christmas Day poem that I did. It so was great. It was, was great. We, I was, we did get I was that thrilled one. that we got at least one email from someone who liked my poem. <laughs> I think people on the uh, on the forums were also very very excited about the fact that you can drop bars uh, on Christmas. So that was that was awesome. If you did not miss, uh, if you did not watch the last episode or listen to it, uh, go back and check it out. Jason's got bars. He he, he freestyled something off the dome that he 
wrote down, but it doesn't matter. It was written because it was awesome. <laughs> so, but for now, that will do it for episode 264 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We will be back, as I mentioned, at some point after the pit game. But until then, a great way to show us some love is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and to leave a nice five-star rating and review. It really helps us, and we read some of them on the air. So for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald. Again, this is episode 264, and Duke Band, please take us home.